You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. All right, let's take our Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to continue our series on the family. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 4. Are you there? Well, we got three or four there. Are you there now? There's five or six now. Are you there now? Still five or six, and the rest are still looking for it. It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 4. Children. We're not going to talk about the children. Or should I say we're not going to talk to the children tonight. We're going to talk to the parents. But children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use the simple message that we will bring tonight to help us to realize that there is a sowing and reaping principle that applies even to our families. Father, I especially pray for our young couples here tonight that are in those child-rearing years that, Lord, uh, some of the things that are said tonight would be a help and a benefit to them as they raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bless our time together tonight. May your Holy Spirit have... A free course to work his work in each and every one of our lives, whether we are raising children or not. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Come down there and join you tonight, and we'll do our review. Of course, it's not going to be a long review because we've only been two weeks in our series here on the family. But one thing we noticed was Satan's all-out attack against the family in the day and age in which we live. And we talked about since the 70s, the downward spiral that is taking place in our families. Our families are in deep, deep trouble in America. Maybe you've heard it said, as the families go, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes society. And we certainly have seen that progression taking place. I mean, just kind of look at the pictures that uh, I've put up there for you as we look at divorce and broken families and just the anger and, 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 uh, and, and now we've entered into same-sex marriage. Who would have ever thought that we would be there just a few years ago? We never could have imagined that. I mean, when Don't Ask, Don't Tell came out here a few years ago, who ever thought that so quickly we'd move towards the legalization of same-sex marriage and the attack upon the family? Family is the very foundation of society. The Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so I ask you, what can we do? When we see these foundations being destroyed all around us, what can we do? We can be rebuilders. If those foundations have been destroyed in our own personal lives and relationships and families, by God's grace, we can rebuild them again. Amen? We can. With God, nothing shall be impossible. God can use us to help restore and and help rebuild the foundations that have been destroyed in others' lives as well. When it comes to parent-child relationships, if you're not in that child training time of your life right now, like we're phasing out and a lot of young people are phasing in, though you may be phasing out, you're never out because you always have grandchildren that are coming along. You always have others that come to you asking you for advice. And so what we learn here tonight is for every single one of us, not just for those young couples who have small children that they're raising at this present time. 
As we started out our session, of course, we started with the fathers, because they are to be the heads of their home. They're to be good husbands and good fathers, following Christ's example. The Bible tells us that Christ loves the church, sanctifies the church, cleanses the church, nourishes the church, and cherishes the church, and the husband is to do the same thing towards his wife. All five of these areas we as men need to focus on and understand and and know how to love, sanctify, cleanse, nourish, and cherish our wives like Christ does us. We then, in a verse we just read just a few minutes ago, we're to bring our children up in the what? Nurture and admonition of the Lord, or the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's the Father's main responsibility to do that. Last week we talked about the wives and their relationship with their husbands and what your husband needs the most. And can anyone tell me before I click to the next slide, what do your husbands need the most? All right, they need submission and they need reverence. They really go together. You can't reverence your husband without submitting to him. And obviously you can't submit to him without reverencing him. And so these two really come together. Wives, submit yourselves under your own husbands. And then see that the wife reverence respect her husband, the two things that he needs the most. Now tonight, we're going to talk about how to raise a rebellious, spoiled, lazy, irresponsible, immoral, good-for-nothing brat. Now you may say, boy, that describes a lot of young people I know. And you know what? It really does. We have now raised a generation. Remember I had the millennials stand up a few Sundays ago? Between the age of 18 and 36 to 38, right around there, those are the millennials. And I said, you are the most rebellious. You're the most sensual. You're the most materialistic, lazy generation that we have ever seen. We had someone visiting the church that Sunday for the first time, and uh, on the way out the door, they commented on the fact that I had all of those uh, millennials stand up, and uh, they asked me, don't you think you uh, offended some of them? And I said, no, not at all. (laughs) And uh, they've been back every Sunday since. But this is the generation in which we're in. So I'm going to ask you a question. How did we get there? How did we get to a place where employers are finding it hard for someone to pass a drug test? How did we get there? How did we get there when men just walk off the job and don't even give a two-week notice? How did we get there where so many men have just walked out on their families and left their wives to the raising of the children? And we could go on and on and on. Well, we're going to talk about that here this evening. I've shared this with you before. This was several years ago. I was actually preaching on this verse, and the message that I preached was good-for-nothing Christians. And there was a family in our church, they had attended our church for some time, uh, that took up a real offense uh, to that message and used it as a reason why they left the church. They left the church, or should I say the husband took his family out of the church after this message because he became offended that I would say that there are good-for-nothing Christians. All right, listen to me. There are a lot of good-for-nothing Christians. The Bible says, ye are the salt of the earth. That's a good Christian. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, if the salt is no longer salty, it's lost its saltiness, which many Christians have. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth what? Okay. So who was the first one to call Christians good for nothing? It was Jesus. 
If you have lost your savor, if you have lost your saltiness, the Bible said you are a good-for-nothing Christian, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. For those of you who have said under my ministry for any period of time, you know, I just want to call it like it is. I just want to say it like it is. Because that's, I don't want someone to beat around the bush when it comes to me. I want the truth. I want it plain, and I want it clear. One thing I taught the young people this week in discerning the will of God here in the school, that God makes it a plain path. A plain path. And it seems like anymore we tend to offend people when we make things very clear and very plain. Well, I'm going to make things very clear and very plain tonight when it comes to raising rebellious, spoiled, lazy, irresponsible, immoral, and good-for-nothing brats. Okay? So here we go. There's a lot that I'm going to be putting up there for you. You know, salt has really gotten a bad rap. How many of you like salt? I do too. Some would call me a saltaholic. I remember years ago when we went hunting up in the UP and Craig Davison went with us. And I almost shot him. I should have shot him back then, but I didn't. <laughs> but we were, we were eating the evening. He's listening to us online, by the way. <laughs> we were eating our evening meal, and I was just putting the salt on whatever food we were eating. And he was just ragging on me. I mean, he was after me to stop putting salt on my food. And I said, Craig, you're trying to make me unbiblical. Because the Bible talks over and over again about salt and how good salt is and how beneficial salt is. He was trying to keep me from being salty. Could you believe that? Salt preserves. There's a lot of good elements to salt. Salt preserves. Salt cleanses. You put salt into an infected wound, and it'll help cleanse that wound. Salt is very healing. Whenever I would have a cold sore, my mom would always put salt on it. She always said it made it better. I don't know if it did or not. Preserves, it cleanses. Salt is healing. Salt creates thirst, right? Salt makes food taste good. Now I know some of you, you would tell me, well, you know, your palate just needs to change and you need to learn how to eat food without salt, but I want to be honest with you, I'm not going there. <laughs> salt just brings food alive. You know, isn't it amazing you can just tell? Can't you? This just doesn't have enough salt. Salt supports balanced hormones. So, ladies, you need a lot more salt than you're getting in your diet, I'll tell you that, right now. Women are going to go out of here. It supports your thyroid functions. It improves your quality of sleep. It lowers your adrenaline. It helps control blood sugar. It improves a fast metabolism. The human body cannot live without salt. Now, I understand there's a balance here. Okay? I understand that. But salt is very beneficial. But if the salt has lost its savor, it's what? It's good for nothing. But to be cast out. No no longer profitable, no longer usable by our Lord. So I want to ask you a question here right now. Are you a salty Christian? Do you purify and cleanse and create a thirst in others for the things of the Lord? Good for nothing. What are some of the words you see up there just in that little definition? Useless. Another one? Of no use. Can you catch that little one right down here? What is that? Lazy. How did they get this way? 
How did so much of our culture get this way? Just before I came to church, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go on the internet because everything on the internet you can believe. <laughs> just Facebook, you can't believe. Anything else? But I thought, I just want to, I just want to Google this up and, and see what some of the articles are about this. 25 scientific ways your childhood influences your success as an adult. Now, I didn't read these articles, but just for sample. The connection between childhood experiences and adult problems. Early childhood experiences shape adult life. How nine things that happen to you as a child affect you as an adult. Childhood experiences shape who you are. Seven ways your childhood influences your adult life. Research on childhood roots of adult happiness. Childhood affects your personality. The articles go on and on and on and on and on. And though I didn't read those and just threw them up there as an example to you, I think we all would agree that the way you are raised, your upbringing, affects you on into the future, even into your adult life. Amen? It does. So how has all this happened? Now, I'm not saying that there's not exceptions. Some children come from very, very bad backgrounds and end up doing great things for the Lord. That's, that's just God's mercy and grace. But we're taking this as a general principle. That the way you were raised does affect you as a person, even to the extent it can affect your personality and affect whether you're going to be successful on into your adult life. Pretty significant. No wonder the Bible tells us to raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You want to know why? Because God wants us to be successful in life. A child left to himself bringeth shame to his parents. So we really need to get engaged in this area of raising up our children. So... How do we raise these spoiled, irresponsible, immoral children? First of all, never spank them. Don't ever, ever spank your children. Isn't that what we're told not to do? Cannot you even be uh, investigated if you spank your children today? So the world tells you don't spank your children. And, God, and what does God say? Incline the ear or incline your rear. That's the book of Proverbs right there. Make sure that you give in to your children's whining. And if you've never seen this, just go to Walmart at any given time and walk down the aisles. Matter of fact, you don't need to walk down the aisles. You can hear them on the aisles. Give them whatever they want. They're whining and fussing and throwing a little fit. Then just, just give them whatever they want. If they want candy to shut up, then give them candy. Go buy them a toy. Do, it, do whatever you have to do to get them to be quiet. How many ever saw, one of my favorite shows is Andy Griffith. How many ever saw the show when Opie finds a friend who's a brat... And so Opie's going to imitate his friend because his friend gets whatever he wants whenever he throws a temper tantrum. And Opie comes into uh, Andy's office and throws himself on the floor and starts kicking and screaming and throwing a fit. And it's great. You've got to watch it. It's, uh... Actually, if I knew how to do that, I knew Ben knew how to do this. But if I knew how to do that, I would put the clip up there for you right now because it's hilarious. Make lots of idle threats. Tell them three or four times to do something before you really step up and make them obey. I think we've all been guilty of this. I know I have. And one of the reasons why I have been guilty of this is because I've been too lazy to act upon the first command. Like, boys, come in, it's time to eat. Five minutes later, boys, 
I'm telling you, come in, it is time to eat. And they're still out playing in the sandbox. Daniel Robert White. <laughs> when the Robert comes in, I mean, it's... At least I get a look. And then by the fourth time. If you boys don't get in here right now, I'm telling you, you're not getting any supper. And they all look at each other and say, eh, okay, it's time to go. What have I done? What have I done, church family? I have trained them to come on the fourth command. Not on the first command. Yell and scream and... <clears throat> Do it a lot, but don't follow through with your discipline. Be inconsistent in your discipline. Remember one time when we were where a lot of you young couples are right now? We put up posters all over our house. Be consistent, be consistent. Do any of you remember that? Do you remember that all, Isaac? We put the paddles everywhere. Do you remember that? <laughs> under, under every side. Be consistent, be consistent. We had a paddle here, paddle there, paddle somewhere else. You know what? Your kids hide paddles everywhere. When we moved from Napoleon, we found paddles here. You won't believe where we found paddles. He had all these missing paddles we started finding. But be consistent. It's a real key in the discipline of your children. Pamper them. Oh, you little sweet little darling little thing. Poor little thing. Just pamper your children. Here's what I believe in strongly. Be their friend, not their parent. That's kind of a philosophy that's out there. Listen. God didn't call you to be your children's friend. Now, my boys that are married and have children now, I'm their friend. I am not Levi's friend. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, let it be known. I am Levi's father. Right, Levi? Yeah. He gave me the I love you sign back there. I'm not his, I'm not his friend. Now, my children that are grown and out of the house, we've developed a great friendship. Always stick up for your children, especially against their authorities. I want to tell you something. One thing, my children, I mean, I didn't do the best job of raising my kids, but I'll tell you what, I, every one of my kids will tell you I never stuck up for them. But I want some of you, listen, some of you are here right now, you have. And that damages your children when you stick up for them, especially in the presence of their authorities. You are undermining everything that God is attempting to do in that child's life. Now, you may want to talk to that authority privately, but never, when your child is under discipline, never stick up for them in the presence of an authority. Next, blame others for their misbehavior. Let them manipulate you to get what they want. Some kids are great manipulators. Well, by the way, if they can't manipulate mom, then they'll go to dad. If they can't manipulate dad, they'll go to mom. Mom and dad, make sure you get on the same page. Let them throw temper tantrums. Just let them do it. Don't hold your children accountable for their actions. I'll tell you what, God holds us accountable. Bible said one day we're going to stand and give and what? Account. Of ourselves to God. Don't teach them personal responsibility. Just do everything for them. Never make them pay restitution. If they go out and steal... You know in the Bible, there were no prisons in the Bible. You know what God's penal judgment was? Restitution. You take a man's life, your life's taken from you. But that would save us a lot of money, don't you think? 
You steal something, you restore it. Make them pay restitution. If they break something, <clears throat> make them pay for it. Otherwise, what's going to happen? They're going to turn into adults that will use other people's things and break it and turn it back and say, I'm sorry. And you can be for sure. If you borrow something from someone else, it is going to break. Isn't that true? It's true. Next, don't make them work for things they want. Just give them whatever they want. Don't make them work for it. Now, parents are responsible to provide basic needs, but there's a lot of things that young people want, especially when they get up in their teenage years. I ain't buying that. You want that, you're going to have to buy it yourself. And I'll tell you what, children will appreciate the things they have and take better care of the things that they have if they have to work for it and they have to buy it themselves. This is really, I guess you see it was kind of like an experiment. My dad and his church had the Iwana program, and at first they would buy all the Iwana books for the kids, and the kids would lose their Iwana books, they'd tear their Iwana books up, they'd find the Iwana books laying all over, and they, they, were, they were expensive. Then my dad said, that's it. You want an Iwana book? You're going to have to buy it. And you know what? It was amazing that the Iwana books started to be taken care of. You ever notice we don't take care of things we don't have to invest in ourselves? Don't teach them the value of hard work. Never make them do chores. Don't make them clean up after themselves. Don't make them apply themselves in school. Make sure they dress in all the latest styles. Let them dress immodestly. Make sure they have a cell phone. I'm going to tell you something. You, you all know how I feel about this. And it is a battle to keep cell phones out of the hands of teenagers. It's a battle. But it's a battle worth winning. But when I get together with all my pastor friends in the area... And we fellowship and we share. Do you, know what, do you know what our number one concern is? Cell phones in the hands of teenagers. It's the number one concern of every pastor in the area that I fellowship with. Now I just want to tell you something, parents. That should speak volumes to you. If you have these men of God from individual churches, and all of them are seeing all the problem and the heartache and the consequences for allowing teenagers to have cell phones. Give them a computer. Let them have a TV in their room. Let them have their own stereo. Let them have unlimited access to the internet. Why is it called the World Wide Web? It's a pretty good name for it, isn't it? Because how many have been entangled in the snares of the devil in the world wide web. Allow them to listen to whatever music they want to listen to. Don't oversee what they watch on TV. Let them watch whatever DVDs they want to watch. Let them play video games as long as they want. I don't like video games. I don't play video games. I've told you before, the only, I played a fishing game one time, and uh, I played a hunting game one time, maybe two times. That's all I've ever played, video games. And I know, I understand, it's a different age, and you all like video games. A lot of you adults here play video games, and you're into all this. But I'll tell you, parents, listen to me. If you don't limit your kids, they will spend hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. I don't, I don't understand the addiction, but they will spend hours staring at that screen and playing those games. So limit. Have them set a timer. Limit the amount of time you allow them to play these games. Boy, aren't, aren't I just mean 
I am the meanest pastor. Don't censor their reading materials. Allow them to go to the movies. My parents never let me go to the movies. I know there's a big argument on about this anymore. But my mom and dad would never let me go to the movies. I remember one time I slipped out and went to the movies. And I'm sitting in the movie house and I'm telling you what, I was under such conviction. And you know why I was? Because my mom and dad had drilled it into me. That's not where Christians go. Now that's the way it used to be. I know it's not that way anymore. I know a lot of you right now go to the movie house. But I'm telling you, I was raised different. I'm thankful for the way I was raised. I was thankful that I fell under conviction when I went to the movie house. Let them go to dances. Mom and dad would never let me do this either. So one time I snuck out. Went, went to the prom without my mom and dad knowing about it. And I was out there, and I'm telling you what, I got so sick, literally so sick, I almost vomited. When I was out there on that dance floor, and I could still see it today, that strobe light was going around, and the hand of the Lord was so heavy upon me. It's like, man, I, I got to get out of here. I'm thankful for that. You know, I think some of you young people, as you get a little bit older, you're going to look back at how your parents raised you, and you're going to have a whole different appreciation. Allow them to hang out with unsaved or carnal friends. Evil friendships corrupt good morals. Let them have whatever friends they want. Teach them that social drinking is okay. Have a few beers in your refrigerator and some wine coolers and, you know, have some hard liquor up on your shelf. It's all right. Never read your kids' emails. Let them correspond with whoever they want to correspond with on social media. Make sure they get a humanistic, secular education. Make sure they're having their faith educated out of them. Allow them to have exposure to the occult. Let them read occultic books and play occultic games. Listen to occultic music. Excuse and support their disobedience to God. Let them go to sleepovers. I tell you, this is dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. I mean, it's, it's 10 to 8, and I could camp on this one for a while. Encourage them to date around. Allow them to choose whether they want to go to church or not. Don't make them have their personal devotions. Don't talk to them about spiritual things or seek to disciple them. Don't give them instruction from the Word of God. Don't install biblical convictions, standards, and values in them. Have a materialistic view of life. Make sure to criticize your pastor, his teachings, his convictions, and his standards. Don't attend church faithfully. Put family functions and other activities before church attendance and ministry. Don't become involved in your local church. Don't attend special meetings. Don't go to Bible conferences and mission conferences and revival meetings and seminars. Don't allow your children to be involved in the youth group or summer camp or youth rallies or 
anywhere where God can speak to them on their level. Never allow them to see you humble yourself and walk the aisle. I mean, don't, don't let your children see that. Gossip about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Criticize and make fun of those who do have biblical convictions and standards. Live a hypocritical life. If you want to raise a rebellious, spoiled, lazy, irresponsible, immoral, good-for-nothing brat, just do all these things I just mentioned. And I will almost guarantee you that that's the kind of kid you're going to raise. Now let me send a disclaimer. You may do your best to do everything right, and some children just have a rebellious streak in them. But I'll tell you this, God will deal with them. 100% for certain, if you've done your best to raise them up in the nurtured admonition of the Lord, and they retain that rebellious streak, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, God will deal with a child like that. And woe unto you children who have been raised in good godly homes and have had great parameters put around you and still choose to rebel. You're going you're gonna to take that up with God. And let me tell you something, God never loses a battle. So why do children rebel? Sometimes just because they have a rebellious heart. But there is that sowing and reaping principle in Scripture. And I'm going to try to go through this quickly. There's several things here that I want to share. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sometimes we have not done what we need to do in the bringing of our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There is a cause and effect sequence. What you sow, you what? Reap. You sow it, you'll reap it. Cause and effect. When, a, <clears throat> when parents do not fulfill their promises... Children get a wounded spirit, and they're not going to trust their parents. The next one, I, just, I feel really bad that I'm rushing through this, but I don't want to carry this on to a, an, another week. When parents don't admit they are wrong, the children lose confidence in their leadership. And this is a big mistake. Some people think, you know, if I admit that I'm wrong, then people are going to lose confidence in my leadership. That's not true. It's just the opposite. They know you're wrong anyway. So if you admit it, then confidence is gained. When parents refuse to ask forgiveness, the children will react to their pride and children will turn bitter towards their parents. can't tell you how many times I've had to ask my children to forgive me. When parents are too strict in discipline, children have their spirit broken. Is it possible to be too strict? This is, a, this is difficult, okay? I'm going to be really honest with you. You can be too lenient. You can be too strict. We're always trying to hit that proper balance, and we don't always do it. But when parents give their children too much freedom, you're too restrictive, or you give them too much freedom, then... Children see freedom as a form of rejection. I guess my mom and dad don't care. When parents are unwilling to discipline, children will feel insecure and unprotected. I'll never forget hearing a story about a school that um, decided they were going to put a fence up around the playground. Before they put the fence up, all the children stayed huddled together in the center of the playground. When they put the fence up, a strange thing happened. The children spread out and were using the entire playground and were actually hanging on the fence. Why did they do that? Because they felt secure in those boundaries. When parents continually display anger towards their children. Now, every parent, if you're a parent that's never gotten angry at your kids... There's something wrong with you. But I'm talking about just consistently, you're just always angry. It's not that 
you happen to get angry and you've got to go ask forgiveness. It's just you're just an angry person. Children develop resentment and then they develop anger toward their parents. When parents, whether it's the father or the mother, is absentee, maybe they're always at work or always out doing whatever they want to do, then children feel neglected, they feel unimportant, they feel unloved. Mom or dad or mom and dad, they're just not here. They're latchkey children. When parents have a bad attitude towards their parents, do you think children don't pick up on that? Children will not honor the counsel of their parents. When parents put their parents in nursing, and I, I, I qualify this, when parents put their parents in a nursing home for the sake of convenience, sometimes it comes to where you can't take care of them any longer. Okay? Understand that. We had to put my dad in a care home. So I, I got that. Okay? But I'm saying they just don't want the responsibility to take care of them. Children are taught to disrespect their parents. You always heard it. What goes around what? So all my kids better take care of us. Actually, they were talking one time. So that's not too bad. There's ten of us. You know, you can stay one month here and one month there. and They're just going to shovel us from place to place. <laughs> but Greta said she'll take care of Mrs. White and I when we're in our old age and can't take care of ourselves. She is the best kid. The best kid right there. When parents fight, quarrel, and don't love one another, children take up an offense for either their mother or their father. When parents neglect God's word, children reject the authority of God in the Bible. It's not important, mom and dad. Never see dad reading the Bible, never see mom reading the Bible. When parents sacrifice their families for money or maybe even for a better retirement, the children develop a temporal value system of life. When parents discipline in anger or are unpredictable, you never know, one day I could get in trouble for it, the next day nothing happens. Children develop a bitter spirit. When parents relinquish their children's education to others. Now the Bible does tell us that we can put our children under governors and tutors until the time appointed by the father. But parents should always take an active role in the education of their children. But when we don't, children will not respect us as their teachers. That's why I really believe that homeschooling is the best if you can do it. Not everyone can do it and do it well. Okay? And that's why we have the school. But not everyone can. I understand that. <clears throat> when parents do not teach their children how to please them, children feel frustrated, rejected, and stop trying to please their parents. When parents do not praise their children, their children will stop trying to please them. The children develop the same temporal focus in life. When parents focus on the outward beauty of themselves and others, consumed with their own personal appearance, or always praising the appearance and the beauty of others, children will seek approval from friends. When parents are impatient, displeased, and angry with their children, children will despise them and disrespect them. When parents have inconsistent standards or double standards, again, the children will despise and disrespect them for that. When parents try to warn their children only of the consequences of sin, then children will become very creative on how to avoid the consequences. Listen, you know why we shouldn't sin? Because it offends a holy God, not just because there's a consequence involved in it. When a father lets his wife assume spiritual leadership, the children may regard religion as childish when they grow older. 
When parents do not have personal convictions and standards, children will accept situational ethics, excuse in excess what their parents will allow in moderation. When parents lack interest in the activities of their children, the children feel neglected and unimportant. When parents place unhealthy pressure on their children to succeed, children will feel like a failure and just want to give up. When parents reject God's authority, children will reject their authority. When parents do not listen to their children, children will not listen to the advice and counsel of their parents. When parents are unfaithful to church, children will see church as unimportant. When parents criticize their pastor, children will not respect their pastor or listen to his messages. When parents continually criticize their children, the children will be attracted to wrong friends. Again, I can almost assure you that if we get in that cause and effect, that we're going to raise a brat. And he, referring to the prophecy of John the Baptist, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the what? Children. And the heart of the children to the what? Fathers. So it goes one way and it goes back the other way. Fathers need to turn their hearts to their kids. Kids, you need to turn your hearts to your fathers. And I think this is pretty important right here. Lest I come and smite the earth with a what? Now, do you think we've been cursed? We've been smitten with a curse. All we've got to do is look at the statistics concerning the family. Then it has to be that fathers are not turning their hearts to their kids. The kids are not turning their hearts to their fathers. Now we go into the New Testament. And here is John the Baptist. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and notice this last statement, say it with me, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know what I want my children to be? Prepared for whatever the Lord has for them in their life. That's what I want. And so I hope some of these uh, simple practical things that we put up there will be a help to you. Let's end with a few verses here. Let's read them together. Ready? A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bury him. The rod and reproof giveth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. He that gathereth in the summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. Whoso curseth his father and his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscurity, obscure darkness. The eye of the moth and despise it to obey his mother. The ravens of the valley shall pluck it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Have you ever noticed when you're going down the road and there's a roadkill? And there's lots of roadkills, isn't there? Lots of roadkills. As you go down and you see a fresh roadkill, what is the first thing missing on that roadkill? The eyes. The first thing that the birds will go after, the ravens or the eagles or whatever, first thing they'll do is pick the eyes. Why will they pick the eyes? Make sure it's dead. The eye that mocketh his father and despiseth to obey his mother, it's not good for that son or daughter. The ravens of the valley shall pluck it out. And the young eagles shall eat it. Well, we have a tremendous responsibility, parents, to make sure our children are what? In church. Not that we send them to church, but we bring them to church and we set the example before them. We have a responsibility to uphold our children in what? To pray. For our children, the power of prayer over our children. We have the responsibility to stay close to the Lord. Amen?
ourselves, setting the example that our children need to see in order to follow. We need to spend time with our kids, disciple them, and by God's grace, speak into their life and share God's word with them. And if we'll do all these things, hopefully God will give us a joyful son or daughter. Now, if you don't know who that is, that is Ben's little boy. That's Titus. And so when I was trying to find a picture of a joyful, a joyful child reading the Bible, I typed in joyful child reading the Bible, and in images, that was the very first image that popped up. And when I saw it, that just brought so much joy to me. My children and my children's children, raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Is that the kind of son and daughter that you are? That you have made your father and your mother so happy and so proud of you and the way that you have lived your life, that they rejoice in the direction your life is taking? Let's read this last verse together. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Can I say something to you? I believe that with all my heart. But I also tell you this, there's no greater sorrow that comes into a parent's heart than when their children don't walk in truth. So all God's people said, Amen tonight. Some very practical truths that we've considered this evening. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklay.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.